We live in such a tremendous time of uncertainty. Have you noticed that? You know, we all would love to have a sure thing, wouldn't we? We'd all love to know what we could count on. Just everybody would like a sure thing. So I googled sure thing last night. Turns out that I got, oh, I got over 10 million hits whenever I googled sure thing. And then I started thinking, okay, now what's, I don't even like that word, sure thing. What's, what's a better, more concrete thing? I thought certainty. That's what we would love to have. Just our, 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 our whole country right now is in such chaos. I mean, everywhere you turn, all the way up and down, be it politics, be it the weather, uh, you name it, there is uncertainty. And we would love to have some certainty in this life, wouldn't we? So I, I Googled certainty and I got 60 million hits on certainty. And then this morning I got to thinking, you know, I think that probably even more than certainty, what we want is security. So I Googled security this morning and I got 4 billion hits on security. And so seems to be pretty popular uh, those three different concepts that all tie together a sure thing, certainty, security, things that we just don't seem to have in this world right now. And so, uh, you know, there's an old cliche about nothing certain but death and taxes. And you know, this really, that's not certain. The rapture could happen. And uh, we not die, you know, it says in scripture, you know, we're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. So not even death and taxes. And once that happens, no more taxes. Isn't that great? I'm looking forward to the rapture, you know. But uh, anyway, the thing is, is that there's really nothing that certain in life. When you get down to it, the only things that are really sure things, the only things that are really certain are the things of God. As we look in the Bible this morning, we can see four things that are certain about heaven. Four promises, sure promises that we have for all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And I like the word certainty. And as I thought about this, I thought, what is it that God gives us that's, you know, we, people, it seems like in the thing we should be most certain about, people are the most iffy about. Like I, sometimes I'll ask somebody, are you, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you can say for certain that you're going to go to heaven? And they'll say, well, preacher, I hope so. I hope so. The thing is, it's supposed to be faith. And there's a difference in faith and hope. It says, now by these three, these three, faith, hope, and love. And the grace of these is love, of course. But there's a distinction between faith and hope. 
We do have faith and we also have hope because we have faith. We have hope in this fallen world because we have a certainty. That's, we have things that are certain even in these uncertain times. And sometimes, just like Isaiah, we need to be reminded. If you'll recall the prophet Isaiah, his country was in chaos. Good King Uzziah had died, and it looked like a bad king was going to be taking over. The whole country was in a state of shakiness and uncertainty and just turmoil. And so he went into the temple and he bowed down to pray. And he says, as I prayed, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And Isaiah was reminded by the Lord himself that no matter how shaky things may appear, how uncertain things may be in this life, God is still on his throne and his things are certain. Now, that's what I want us to look at this morning. I want us to just be reassured by the Lord this morning in this time of uncertainty that there are some things that are for sure. I like that, for sure. I hadn't thought about that before. But that's, that's what we're talking about here. And there are four things that we see promised in this passage that we read this morning. And uh, there are uh, four things that I, th I think that we, that we can count on. And we can count on because the word I really like is the word guarantee. But nowadays you can't even trust a guarantee or a warranty, can you? I mean, uh, the thing is so many, I mean, I don't know how many times I've uh, been in churches where we got a guarantee on the roof that we had put on the church and then it started leaking and we went trying to find the roofer wasn't in business anymore guarantee wasn't didn't amount to anything it wasn't worth the paper it was written on because the person behind it wasn't trustworthy and there's so many times, there's so many, but see, in this passage this morning, God himself tells John, write this down because this is certain. We have a written guarantee, you see, from God himself about the things that we're talking about this morning. And the first thing that I see that we are given by God. And the first thing that's certain is do-overs. You know, uh, if it's a certainty that God's going to have, even God himself, think about this. He says, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, not just a new earth, you know, we, we can understand, we talk about the fallen world and the imperfections in this world, and we know all the sin that's going on here, and we think about that, but why a new heaven? And uh, the best explanation I've come up with and I've seen is the fact, you know, the rebellion that took place on earth started in heaven. Satan led an insurrection and God 
is going to do something that he gave a type of in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he told those people that uh, were called his, the Israelites, every year they were supposed to have a time when they took all the old leaven out of the house and they started over with brand new leaven. And that was a type of having a new beginning, of starting afresh, starting anew. Well, the insurrection against God began in heaven. He is holy. And God himself is going to have a do-over in heaven even. There will be a new heaven. He is so holy, he looks forward to the time to where every remnant, every spot in heaven that would be a reminder of that insurrection against God will be gone to where once more he will be holy, heaven will be holy, the earth will be holy, we will be holy. He tells us, be ye holy as I am holy. There comes a time when all sin all opposition to him will be done away with and everything will be back to the perfection that he started out with. Even God wants a do-over. Now, and he gives types of that. And in our lives, we are given do-overs all the time, aren't we? And you know, it just hit me. Some people, I talk to them and and they, they'll, they'll talk about how if they just had it all to do over again, how they'd do it. And there's some people that feel like they've just been stuck on the back burner of life. And uh, maybe the role that they've been assigned here just hasn't been significant. And they may even feel guilty about that. Well, let me tell you something. Just your life here isn't all there is. Remember, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about how Whenever we get there, well, we've been there 10,000 years. We'll just be getting started. And Jesus says that in the kingdom of God, many of those who are last, those who are considered lowly, those who are considered insignificant, they're going to be first. They're going to be first. It's not all over. It's not all over. You're going to get do-overs again and again. I've needed a do-over in life. I don't know how many times. There have been times when I've just messed it all up. I've just blown it so badly. And even trying to control and make things right, made things worse. And just had to just get out before God and say, Lord, I've just made a mess of my life. Bless this mess. Take it. Do something with it because I can't do anything with it. I give up. All I can do is give this mess to you. And as I've given my mess of a life to the Lord, he's given me brand new starts over and over again. Well, that's one of the things that God's good about. And he's looking forward to a new beginning himself one of these days. It's something we all need, and even God wants it for his place of residence. We are certain of a home. 
you know, it's going to be a time whenever all this is gone, where all that's uh, uh, everything's going to just just be over. Even heaven, you know, we talk, we look forward to having our place in heaven and uh, the place in heaven that if we die before this time of a new beginning, even that place is going to be done away with and we're going to have a brand new and even after that. But uh, it's going to be fantastic. And the Lord makes sure we understand it's going to be great. The new, the heaven that is, exists now is beautiful. And there are people that have had glimpses of it. The new heaven is going to be even more gorgeous than that. You know, when the great inventor Thomas Edison was on his deathbed and he could barely speak, his doctor saw that Thomas Edison was trying to say something. And so he bent down very close and he heard Mr. Edison whisper, it's very beautiful over there. The Lord just gave him a glimpse of where he was headed. Edison's last words testified to the beauty of heaven as it is now. How beautiful is it going to be after it's been totally restored? You know, the thing is, though, that uh, it says he who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he or she shall be my child. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In verse 8, we're reminded that just because we're Christians, just because we're forgiven, doesn't mean that we can live any old way that we want to. That a part of overcoming, you see, you can say the words, but until you start taking the steps and live the life, you haven't become an overcomer. And this is so important that we know this, that it's not just saying words. If you have faith, you're going to live it. And it's very clear that overcomers, one of the things that they've overcome is the fear of what other people think and what other people say. And they have faith that God's way is the right way. And they have committed their ways to him. And even whenever it's tempting to do the wrong thing, they choose to do the right thing. Yeah, I was thinking about Jeremiah. If you'll recall, Jeremiah was called, the Lord told him that he was going to be a preacher. And he said, oh, no, Lord, not me. I'm, I am but a youth. And God told him, don't say that because you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And the thing is, Jeremiah went ahead and did it. He started living as the person that God told him that he was instead of the person that he thought that he was. And that's what we, there comes that point when we have to make that step and start living that life that God has for us. And those that make that step, those are overcomers. It's not just saying some words, it's living a life. And once you do that, once you make that step, then you join this bunch that he says are overcomers. And so 
the thing is, and we've covered this uh, in John, the fifth chapter, says, whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. You see, you can't say you're loving God until you start doing what he tells you to do. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, that you do what he's told you to do. And none of us have an excuse. We all need a savior. You know, I've been looking at that over and over again this past week. In Romans, Paul talks about how those who don't have the written law, they do have God's law written in their heart. They have a standard of right and wrong, even apart from ever hearing about the Ten Commandments or about Christianity even. They have an understanding of right and wrong. And everybody violates their own standard of right and wrong. So they need a savior because they've sinned against their own laws. We who have the law, we need a savior because we have broken the laws and God has provided that savior where we can be washed and cleansed and made whole and have a brand new start with him and in confidence live that life in certainty knowing that these things are ours. And the thing is that uh, that new home that we talk about, the new heaven, it's not for everybody. It's for overcomers. But if you are an overcomer, it is a certainty in your life. There is a certainty because God means exactly what he says and he says what he means. Well, if you'll receive him, as Lord and Savior, as I said last week, if you will begin to sanctify him in your heart in such a way that you turn away from those things that you know aren't right and start doing those things that are right out of love for him and out of obedience to him, then you will be an overcomer. And he promises himself to you. I love that. In Revelation 2, 21, 13, it says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. If you ever thought about what the best part of heaven is going to be, it's going to be in the, be in the presence of Jesus, don't you think? To me, that's going to be the best part. The one who has given his very life for us. You remind me of a story. In 1975, Lisa Green was three years old when a fire totally engulfed her family's home in Brooklyn, New York. And firefighter Marvin Bunch arrived at the scene to find three women on the porch of that burning house, and they were screaming that children were trapped upstairs. Marvin crawled up those fiery stairs, and he brought little Lisa out, unconscious in his arms. Now, two other children were also rescued that day. But 14 years later, 
Lisa called the New York City Fire Department and learned that the man who saved her life was a retired fire captain living in Las Vegas. Lisa's family brought Marvin and his family to New York as guests, uh, guests of honor uh, for Lisa's high school graduation. And Lisa was overjoyed to be in the presence of the one who had risked his life to save hers. Imagine how thrilled we are going to be to be in the presence of the one who gave his life to save ours. And Christians, we will be with him. This is God's promise to all who trust in Jesus. God promises us himself. That is major. Also, he promises us something that we seek here below and hardly ever find. That's happiness. Happiness. The Apostle John uh, tells us in verse 4, says God's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We're not there yet, are we? A few years ago, George Barna reported over 70 million Americans are struggling to find meaning in life. And over half of all Americans struggle with some type of depression. All of our tears, let's face it, have not yet been wiped away. At our best, we're like the 10-year-old boy who wrote this thank you letter to God. Uh, his name was Spencer. And he said, Dear Lord, thanks for the bike last Christmas. It has made me very happy except for May 13th at four o'clock when I rode into a big ditch that I did not see. I am okay now. Well, he signed it Spencer. All of us are going to ride in those ditches from time to time that we don't see. All of our tears have not yet been wiped away, but one day they will be. No more death. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. A Sunday school teacher once asked her class to tell her what they thought heaven would be like. She got all kinds of answers, but one little third grader said this, Heaven is going to be the happiest part of my dead life. <laughs> and it will be for you too. If Jesus is your Lord, and your Savior. He's promised all of us who overcome, and all of us can't. There's not a one of us that can't. He's promised that to us. He's promised us a time of happiness. Last thing I want to share with you is that His promises are certain. His promises are sure. Uh, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, I, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. 
One of the best things about being a Christian is that we have a certain future. Christianity is not a hope-so sort of a thing. It's a no-so sort of a thing. Whenever we give our lives to Him, He gives His Holy Spirit to us. He seals that promise in our hearts with His presence, and we have an assurance. God wants all of us to have this assurance, and that's why God told John to write down what he heard. Our hope is based, as I said, on an absolute guarantee. And he himself says, these words are true and faithful. God said, write it down because it is so. He makes the guarantee to everyone who thirsts for eternal life. I will freely give you water from the fountain of life. Our future is based on God's absolute guarantee. We have a certainty. We can embrace it and it can be ours. It's backed up by his absolute greatness. In verse 6, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And uh, the thing is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have the last word on our eternal destiny. And he is absolutely able to do what he says he will do. And so Christians, we don't have just a hope. We have a certainty. It all sounds, I like this part where it says, behold, I make all things new. That sounds real good to an old man like me. You know, I got a year older yesterday and the promise that things going to make things new. That's that sounds good to me. Billy Graham gave this testimony. He said the first death in our immediate family was that of my maternal grandmother, Lucinda Coffey. Grandmother talked often about her husband, Ben Coffey who had been badly wounded while serving the 11th North Carolina Regiment, which led the advance on Gettysburg from the West on July 1st, 1863. Shrapnel almost severed his left leg. While Ben was lying on the battlefield, a bullet grazed his right eye, blinding it forever. Doctors were forced to amputate his wounded leg sometime later. His friends testified to his concern for spiritual values. I never knew him. He died in 1916 at the age of 74. When Grandmother Coffey died, I was in elementary school, and my sister Catherine and I were called out of school. The manner of her dying became a legacy of faith for our family. She sat up in bed and almost laughingly said, I see Jesus. He has his arms outstretched toward me. And there's Ben. He has both of his eyes and both of his legs. God says, behold, I make all things new. This is our faith as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have that faith? 
If you put your trust in those promises, put your trust in him, that's the overcoming part, is just start trusting him. Receive the promises of heaven by receiving Christ as your Lord, as the ruler of your life, and as your Savior, and committing your life to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.